Is Quebec's COVID-19 second wave a hoax? Is it driven by fake data? Are we getting more cases or is it just more testing? I am Vincent Stevenong and I am not a doctor. Given my staggeringly impressive credentials, I will be investigating the claims made in the La Presse article, L'étrange deuxième vague du COVID-19, the strange second wave of COVID-19, written by Yvan Allaire and Mihaela fiercy Roti. Welcome to the very first edition of Not a Doctor. This article is published in the very reputable French-language newspaper here in Quebec called La Presse and is written by two professors from the prestigious UCAM University. In it, the authors call into question the legitimacy of the second wave that we are currently undergoing uh, here in Quebec and the second lockdown that the government is mandating as an attempt to flatten the curve, limit the effects of the pandemic this time around. Is the article legit? I mean, it uses numbers and science and stuff and both the, the the authors are university professors so it's got to be legit right uh well sort of kind of uh, some of the numbers are legit some of them are not some of the numbers are legit but the conclusions drawn are specious at best some of the numbers are legit but they're really cherry-picked to to prove a certain kind of point instead of looking at the data and then coming to a conclusion instead of starting with the conclusion. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so let's look at it. So claim number one, the undeniable truth that we're in the middle of a second wave comes from the increase in the number of positive tests. Week of September 7th, 1,825 positive tests. Week of September 14th, 2,748 positive tests. Week of September 21st, 3,601 positive tests. So they're looking at the upward trend uh, and saying these positive cases will eventually translate into hospitalizations and deaths. Whereas at the height of the pandemic, we had a 15.8% positive rate. And then whereas right now, or 1st to 25th of September, we had a 2.4% positive rate. So since the beginning of September, we have been taking two to three times the number of tests since the beginning of the pandemic. So imagine if the positive test rate in April continued until September and we would have 53,000 positive tests. So this is sound logic. What they're saying is that um, if you look at the percent test instead of the number of tests, it's more meaningful, right? Because if you test more, you get more cases. And we're up to almost 30 million tests. That means we're going to have more cases. If we didn't want to test or if we didn't test, we wouldn't have cases. But we have cases because we test. So despite the awkward delivery, this is sound. So we don't have more cases. We're just detecting more. This is a fake second wave. Am I right? Let's look a little bit deeper. This is the Quebec government website that they're deriving their data from. This, this is what they're using for the number of positives. So they said September 7th, 1,825 positive cases. Basically the right number, 27 here. Then September 14th, 2,748. Basically the same number, 2,761. September 23rd, Wait a second, they said 3,601 tests. We have 4,902. How can you be off by more than 1,000 cases? What, what's going on here? It's never a good sign when the very first piece of data in an article is completely wrong. So why is it wrong? The article was published on October 1st. The data that's wrong is the week of September 21st to September 28th, inclusively. So I'm going to guess that the article was written sometime between the 21st and the 28th, and the authors didn't realize that, of course, they didn't have the data for that week and used an incomplete. So that's why there's like a thousand cases missing from that. So anyway, not a good sign. They might think I'm being too harsh because uh, at the end of the day, even with the add the thousand cases, the positivity rate between the 15.8% at the height and the 2.4% uh, right now is still massive. And so it's still not a justification for the second lockdown for the supposed second wave. Um, I agree. That's a huge difference between 15% and 2%.
This is the basic premise. April versus September. Wait a second. Why are we comparing the height of the pandemic to the beginning of the second wave? That's obviously completely wrong. When bars were closed, restaurants were asked to reduce capacity to half. That was March 15th. March 22nd was when indoor dining in restaurants was prohibited. Shopping malls, beauty salons were closed, all that kind of thing. So between March 15th and March 22nd, that's really, that's the beginning of the first wave, okay? Uh, not April. So if we look at that period of time between the 15th and the 22nd, so March 15th, we had 730 cases for the entire week. How many tests did we have? We had 20,878 tests. If you divide those two numbers, you get 3.5%. So if you compare it to the week that they're comparing, 21st to 28th, you get 4,894 cases divided by 192,285 tests or 2.55%. So March, 3.5%. Early September, 2.5%. We're basically in the same ballpark. We're not talking about 15% versus 2%. So first the data was wrong and then the actual premise is wrong. You can't compare the height of the pandemic and the first wave with the very beginning of the second wave. That doesn't make any sense. Percent positive is a very good indicator of uh, where we are. Uh, let's look at the overall trend. Here is my chart of percent positive over time using the exact same data. Well, the correct number of tests, but using using that data. So first of all, if you look at where we are right now, so let's look at the last month. There's a very clear increase in the uh, percent positive rate. So if we're saying, let's say that's the average, so that's 2%. And here we're looking at almost 8%. So that's a huge increase in the percent positive. Now let's go back to the beginning of the pandemic. So this here, this is our first wave, okay? If you look here really at the start, you're like, okay, well, this, this seems reasonable. We're going between 1% and 4%. I mean, if you look at this. Everything seems okay until here. There's this massive increase over here. What caused this massive spike? This is because prior to March 23rd, every single local PCR test done by a designated hospital needed to be confirmed by the public health laboratory. Uh, obviously, this was causing a major backlog in tests pending results. So here you had lots of tests done, but no results yet. So on the 23rd, they corrected for that. And basically they said, we don't need to recheck all the tests uh, by the single public health laboratory. We can trust the local PCR test. So that means this, the true increase was something more gradual between here and there, because that's where this corrected for. Okay, so is there anything else that's weird in this first wave? So let's go forward a bit further. We see the sense increasing. Whoa, what's this here? Massive spike on... May 3rd. So what happened there on May 3rd? Once again, this is a reporting issue. So on May 3rd, there were 1,317 cases from back in April that had not yet been tabulated and they got added in at that point. So this again is a fake increase in cases, right? This again means that this curve was maybe going upwards a little bit faster. Okay? And you can see in April, there wasn't much of a change. So just overall, it was more of a steady curve. Now, just in general, for this first wave, let's just look at the variants. Let's look at the massive, at the full thing. Okay, if we look here, this is where we are now. Variance is very minimal. We can see a very clear trend. If we look at the first wave, variance is massive, even not including B and D, which were those two reporting areas, not including the look at the change here in this. What's this percent? This is 10%, and this is almost 20%. So we're jumping massively between these two, between doubling doubling, right? Why is that? There's a number of reasons, but clearly at the start of the pandemic, we were far less equipped to handle the situation and the testing suffered in consequence. I'm sure the turnaround time on testing was slower. The general logistics and operations of administering tests and nothing was figured out at that point. 
So we have some pretty wild variations in the data at the at the beginning. It's normal that now, several months in, we're conducting tests much better than ever before. We're processing far more daily tests than ever before, and the variance in data in general should be much smaller, and we should have more consistent curves, which is exactly what we're seeing. So let's hope that the positivity rate for the second wave will never be as high as the first wave. I personally think that the high positivity rate in the first wave was just a sign of insufficient testing more than anything. Um, if we hit that high of a positivity rate with the increased number of testing that we're having in this first wave, that's an extremely bad sign because we know we're catching more now than we were catching then. Back to the article, it's very clear that point one comparing at the height of the pandemic to the beginning of the second wave makes no sense at all. And if you look at the trends in the positivity rate, you see that it's very clear that there is an increase in the positivity rate for the second wave. Claim number two in their words, are deaths not the principal cause of the generalized fear and the justifications of these extreme measures. So we know that this has been catastrophic for uh, elderly people in CHSLDs, which are long-term care facilities. This pandemic has only cost the lives of 30 people under the age of 50. The last time somebody under the age of 40 died of COVID-19 in Quebec was back in May 29th. So I don't know where they're getting that data from, but it is completely wrong. This this article is posted August 20th. Dom Beni Kabangu Nasapu, aged 19, died of COVID-19. So no idea why they're saying May 29th. From the 1st to the 26th of September, 52 people in Quebec died as a result of COVID-19. All of these people were aged 70 and older. 60% of them were in long-term care homes. Furthermore, it should be noted in April, this is the height of the first wave, 30% of the cases came from people under 40 and 28% came from people more than 70. Whereas now in September, 55% come from people less than 40 and only 10% come from those 70 and more. Therefore, in this second wave, we have much more positive associated with people younger and therefore less at risk. These numbers here in the data is totally correct, except for that uh, last time a young person died issue. Uh, how we interpret the data, though, and the fact that we are considering mortality as the only deciding factor in whether a disease is dangerous, uh, that's the part that's questionable. Claims two and three are, are basically accurate data-wise. Okay, let's look at claim number four. So they start by saying, let's look at the data for September 27th at 4 p.m. September 27th, why would they choose that? Maybe that's when the article was written. Ah... And so when they were looking at the data for September 21st, the week of September 21st, which goes from the 21st to the 28th, they only had up to the 27th worth of data. So that explains why that first point is completely wrong. There's the confirmation. Okay, so in summary, let's look at the 27th and what they find is 3.1% positive, one death, 212 people hospitalized in all of Quebec, four less than the day before, 37 people in the ICU, which is four less than the day before. In terms of raw data, this is all correct. The data that they're looking at comes once again from this website, and it's the daily summary that's posted at the top over here. This daily summary is great. The one piece of data I never use is this, prélèvement analysé, the number of tests processed, 27,000. They quote this in, in order to get the percentage positive rate. The reason why I don't use this is because this is, as it states, the number of tests analyzed. This is not the same as the number of people tested because one person can have multiple tests on them. For example, if you go, you get a COVID test and you come up positive, you might want a second test to double check. So you're always going to have more prélèvement analysé, more tests taken than number of people tested. Okay, let's scroll down here to 4.2. So this is the section on testing. We have two graphs. One is the cumulative number of people tested, and the second one is the daily number of tests. And they say here specifically, 
The number of tests does not correspond to the number of people tested. One person can be tested multiple times in particular healthcare workers. So that's not really the best number to use if you're trying to figure out percent positive rates, but the numbers are accurate. What we really want to look at is for the number of people tested on a given day, how many people came up positive. So as a result, I use this. So this is people that tested positive or negative. And in order to get the daily number, I just uh, subtract one number from the previous and I get the daily number of people that tested positive. Anyway, regardless of the exact methodology for coming up with a percent positive, it doesn't really entirely matter. The problem here with claim number four is that it's a snapshot. Uh, yes, the data is accurate for that one day, but really what matters most are the trends and not one day's numbers. That percent positive, 3.1%, is it going upwards or is it going downwards? If the day before the percent positive was 15% and now it's three, well, we're doing well. But if the day before was 0% and now we're at three, well, now we're not doing well. So it's not that useful to talk about percent positive snapshots. So if we use their numbers, we come up with around 0.5% positivity mid-August. Um, by the beginning of September, we start looking at about 1% on average. By mid-September, we're coming up to 1.5%. Uh, by September 27th, right over here, we're up to almost 3% positivity. So the positivity rate has increased from the 0.5% to 3%, which is about five to six times. In terms of hospitalization and ICU numbers, exact same thing. We got a low of around 100 in hospital and around in the tens for ICU. And then now we are actually September 27th, we're at 216 in hospital and 40 in ICUs. So we're talking about double or triple of the numbers in hospital. It should also be pointed out the number in hospital and ICU will always be behind the testing numbers. This is because if you test positive, you don't immediately go to the hospital. If you test positive, you go home, you confine yourself. And if things go worse, then yeah, you'll go to the hospital. Uh, and then of course, if things get even worse, then you may die. And so really the process is like testing, going to the hospital and then death or recovery, right? It's so the deaths are always going to be the la most lagging behind. So by comparison, as I record this video on October 5th, the deaths for the last few days, 16, 7, 10, 11, and 6. So when he was saying that there was only one death back on uh, September 27th, I think that's this point here. Sure, but he's cherry picking once again, because if we look, there are some higher numbers before and afterwards. So meaningless to look at a single data point. If you look at trends, there's some troubling problems in here. You look at the positive rate using my data, which is to say number of people tested, not the total number of tests analyzed. Yes, we indeed do see an increase over here, just as we saw in that first. Okay, let's move on. So claim number five, how can we justify the prolongation and intensification of these fear-based arguments and coercive measures? Again, he says here with 212 people hospitalized and 37 in intensive care, less than the night before while positive tests increase. Okay, I've already pointed out several problems with the snapshot of hospitalized and ICU, but there's an additional error in this sentence. So they say 212 people hospitalized and 37 in ICU less than the night before while t positive tests increase. Increased testing and the number of people hospitalized in ICU are not related. In fact, if anything, increased testing will eventually reduce the number of people in, in hospital or ICU. If we're testing more, we're gonna find people positive earlier and be able to quarantine them, thus reduce the spread, and also possibly be able to treat them better. So increased testing can actually result in less people in hospital ICU because we caught the cases earlier. Final point of limiting contact between young people and vulnerable is uh, completely valid. I think that's why a lot of people do not understand Quebec's back to school plan. 
which did not initially include requiring students to wear masks while in the classroom. I'm filming this on October 5th and literally today, several weeks after schools have opened, they have announced that high school students will now be required to wear masks in classrooms as of, or as of Thursday. That's when it's going to be required. As usual, they can never admit to being wrong and that the initial back to school program was a bad idea, but at least the revised uh, plan is a bit closer to correct. Okay, so that's basically it. Every single point in this article it contains either factual errors or just has really questionable comparisons that are not valid. All of this said, despite the data errors and falsehoods and whatever, it doesn't change the fact that some of these arguments may be valid. Is the lockdown the best way to handle the second wave? Is it correct to even describe Canada as going through a second wave when really the vast majority of the cases are coming through Ontario and Quebec? Are the, the specifics of the lockdown, are the businesses and activities being prohibited actually the best way to reduce the spread of the pandemic? Is the back to school plan going to help anything? And of course, the big question is, will the economic and social impact of these measures, these lockdown measures, be more difficult to recover from and result in more deaths than the impact that the disease itself would have unless different measures were taken? Taiwan is just one example of a country that took a totally different approach, which included allowing businesses, restaurants, and schools to stay open, but managed to get their case numbers to zero. And they have had no second wave whatsoever. Anyway, that's, that's a video for another day. I have no problem with criticizing the methods being used to control the pandemic, the lockdown, insufficient PPE for personal use and health system use, uh, not requiring masks until quite late in the pandemic, the back to school plan, et cetera, et cetera. But I have a problem with a criticism that is based on false data, flat out false data, faulty data, cherry picked data or misinterpreted data, comparing things that are not equivalent. Uh, unfortunately, this article is full of those things and uh, it seriously undermines any legitimate points they may have to make. So I'm going to be focusing on COVID myth debunking on this channel for now. If you'd like to see a particular COVID myth debunked or fact-checked, please put it down in the comments below. But of course, I'll need details for a fact-check. And you can't just say, masks kill people. Uh, but you could say something like, masks cause oxygen deficiency. That's something I could look into. Okay? And, and no, they don't. Um, instead of like and subscribe, just wash your hands and wear a mask. Let's get the case numbers to zero. Let's get the hell out of this mess. Thank you for listening. I'm Vincent Stevenong, and I am not a doctor. Congratulate you for getting this far into the video. That's impressive. Um, let's take a look at these authors. So Yvon Allaire and Mihaela Fiercy wrote to. The article refers to them as Professor Emeritus at UCAM and Retired Professor in Business Strategy at UCAM. So they didn't really specify what Yvonne was. So I looked it up and he was a teacher of strategy, business strategy at UCAM, vice president of Bombardier, et cetera. So anyway, the point is he teaches business. He's not a scientist. He's not a uh, doctor, not an epidemiologist. Neither Yvonne Allaire nor Mihaela Firsirotu are doctors. Um, yeah, I mean, that explains why the data analysis is so clumsy. Um, they're not data scientists. They're not statisticians. They're not uh, in the medical field at all. If you're going to get something published in La Presse and you're going to ask them to credit you as a professor emeritus and a retired professor, hopefully those are in disciplines in any way related to the content of the article, but it's not. So why even bother saying that? They're just regular citizens. You might as well say Yvonne Allaire and Mihaela Fiercy wrote to experts. Because that's what you're trying to say by this. And that's BS, as we've quickly seen. I mean, really, we could have just about any 
accolades in there, uh, but not with the vague implication that the professorship gave them any special qualifications of exper experience or expertise in these areas that were making pronouncements. Yvon Allaire, Pope, Hela Fiercy Rotu, Olympic gold medalist. Yvon Allaire, Grammy-winning sinner, and Mihaela Fiersirotu, inventor of GPS. These are incredible accomplishments, but that doesn't give them any qualifications in this field. I think it's really disingenuous to list accolades for an author uh, when they're completely unrelated to the topic. Just don't list any accolades at all. They're just citizens with no greater, their opinions have no greater value than any other citizen. I think, unfortunately, a lot of people with power and authority, and unfortunately, Professor definitely falls into that category, um, begin to begin that they're experts in all fields. I include myself in that category. The amount of power and authority that I wield as the world's greatest YouTuber has definitely gone to my head. Anyway, Yvon and Mihaela's use of data is just flat out wrong. Neither of them are experts or even moderately qualified in this field. Unfortunately, their power and authority as former professors allowed them to be published in La Presse uh, on a subject they know nothing about. The publishing of this article in La Presse, uh, admittedly in their debat or editorial section, basically discredits La Presse's COVID-19 coverage. I've seen this article shared all over the place and I find it really sad. Uh, unfortunately, La Presse is helping spread false information or, or let's say uh, an argument or point of view that is not substantiated by any legitimate data, even though it appears to be. I don't know if the editorial board of La Presse okayed the publication of this uh, or if La Presse has a health reporter that okayed it, but, um, but it's just sad that a reputable paper like La Presse would just add more fuel to the fire of the uh, COVID conspiracy theorists and anti-mask conspiracy theorists. Uh, meanwhile, Quebec continues to be unable to get the pandemic under control. And if we want to talk about economics, it's costing Canada a huge amount of money. And Quebec, of course, a huge amount of money. Uh, maybe that's an area of business that these two authors could have something very intelligent to say about, but not on pandemic epidemiology and health. Anyway, that's it. So if you see any errors in my logic or data, please let me know. All the links are in the description. I'm always trying to update to get the most accurate understanding of what's going on. If there's something else you want me to break down, please put it in the comments below. Until next time, stay safe, wash your hands, wear your masks, and let's get these cases down to zero.